All right, let's, uh, before we come around God's word, let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that your word is all sufficient and all we need, Lord God. I just pray around the word this morning that we, when we hear your word, that we, that we do what your word tells us to do. Thank you, Father. Coming around God's word today, uh, coming from various uh, um, chapters and verses in Proverbs. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Whoever conceals hatred and li- with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The lips of the righteous know what finds favour, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. An honest witness tells the truth, but the false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The heart of the wise makes their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Even fools are thought to be wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. The tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. An honest answer is like a kiss of the lips. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favour rather than one who has flattering tongue. Let's hear God's word. Uh, Good morning everyone and thanks Danny for reading that for us. Let's just still our hearts for a moment and, uh, and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Your word is truth. It's wonderful to be able to read it. And thank you, Lord, for preserving uh, through the Bible over the centuries so that today, uh, 2,000 years after Jesus came, we can still read it and learn from it. Help us to put away the distractions in our hearts and minds and just to concentrate now on what you have to say to us. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, we're in the book of uh, the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs is about wisdom to live life well in God's world. And this week, we're going to think about words, good words and bad words. And there are more verses actually in Proverbs on speech, words, tongue, language, than any other subject. And Proverbs tells us that words are vital to wisdom. There's an old saying... Uh, that you may have grown up with. I certainly did. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's not true, is it? Not at all true. You won't find that anywhere in Proverbs, by the way. According to the Bible, our words are either life-bringing or death-dealing. How you speak will make or break your life and the lives of those around you. Our words are vital to living wisely If we're going to live life well, we're going to have to be very careful with what we say. 
Now think about your conversation today. What did you say before you came here? What was your conversation like? Did it build up or did it break down, tear down? Did it encourage or did it discourage? Was it honest or was it dishonest? Was it gentle or was it harsh? Was it courageous and direct or gossip or flattery? Think about it. What did you say? How did you say it? Were your words words of life or words of death? Proverbs tells us, and Ingrid's reminded that in the video as well, that words are powerful. Look at Proverbs 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It's an incredible statement, don't you think? The tongue has the power of life and death. See what it's saying? Words are like food. We need words like we need food. We need words to live. Good words are like good food. They do you good. And, and bad words are like bad food. They, they harm you. Why do words work like that? Well, because we're made in the image of God. And God is a relational being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a perfect expression of relationship, in fact, enjoying perfect communication, always speaking words of life and truth. And God created us to be relational beings, speaking words and listening to words. As Jesus once said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word and especially by the word that comes from the mouth of God. God created everything by his word. He sustains everything by his powerful word. And he saves the world by the word of the gospel. We depend on and live by the word of God. And as relational beings, we also feed on the words that we speak to each other. You see, we need to express ourselves. We need to express what's inside of us in words. And it's frustrating not being able to talk, not being able to express yourself. Why? Because we all need to be known and we need to be understood. And the way we do it is by using words, by speaking. But we also need other people to say things about us. You know, you sometimes hear people say, oh, it doesn't matter what other people think, it just matters what I think. But that isn't true. It does matter what other people think. Say you're a musician and you've been playing the piano for five years and every single person who hears you play says to you, well, have you thought about taking lessons? <laughs> or worse still, nothing at all. What do you say? It doesn't matter what other people think, it only matters what I think? No, no, of course not. You'd give up, you'd try the oboe or something else. Someone's got to come along at some point and say, well, that's great, I love that music. You're not a musician until somebody says from the outside, that's good and that's wonderful. Words are powerful and we need words to live. Words from the inside and words from the outside. Their life, their food. And the worst possible thing, of course, is silence. Ghosting people. Such a, a thing today, isn't it? Ignoring them, giving people the silent treatment. It's, indifference is so cruel. Let's have a look at the text. Let's focus on three things then. Words that harm, words that build up, and the healing of our words. Firstly, let's consider then that words that harm. Words can do enormous damage. Words can actually wound, can't they? 
Look at Proverbs 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. See what it's saying? Words have the power to wound. Words are like a sword. When you stab someone with a sword, you can pull that sword away, but the wound stays. It bleeds, it hurts, and sure, the pain will eventually subside and you'll end up with a scar. But once said, you can't take those words back. The words are like a sword. And I'm sure you can remember cutting words that have soured a relationship and it's never been the same. Or the rash promises that have led to sort of deep, deep disappointment and trust has never been fully regained. Or the reckless criticism that damaged someone's reputation that could never, ever be restored. And that's such a big thing these days, isn't it? Reckless, slashing words do great damage, damage that can never be completely remedied. Words have the power to wound very deeply, but more than that, words can kill. Take a look at Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. The Hebrew word for life here has three aspects to it. It's the physical life, the inner psychological life, and the communal or social life. You see, words can kill. They have the power to destroy people physically, psychologically, and socially. How do words people, uh, kill people physically? Well, uh, I was down in Kingston, Tasmania, and uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, read a report of a young girl who hanged herself on a tree because of words of rejection in a bad breakup. Australia has one of the highest rates of suicide, do you know that? In the world. How many of those people who've killed themselves have only ever heard words of discouragement, words of rejection? Words kill people physically, but they also kill people psychologically. Why? Because words label people. Call a child dumb or stupid, and that child spends the rest of their lives trying to deal with that. I'm sure you know people who went through school. I did. Uh, they were called names, picked on by their peers, and to this day have no confidence. They're psychologically scarred and still suffering years later. Words, cruel words like that are toxic, aren't they? Like a chemical spill, they pollute everything in the ground, they pollute and distort the way you see yourself and the way you see others. And words also have the power to kill community. Look at Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. How many churches have suffered from this? People stirring up conflict, gossip that damages relationship. John Blanchard a pastor writes about a powerful sermon he once heard, and it was called Ten Minutes After the Benediction. <clears throat> and it was a sermon about those who moved, as he described, from gloria to gossip, from creed to criticism, from worshipping God to wounding people, and how it killed community. Relationship is actually at the very heart of Christian community, and every bit of gossip Every bit of malicious talk or exaggeration or lie or distortion of the truth will undermine and damage relationships. A whisper can ruin a relationship. Words can wound, words can kill, but words also affect the speaker. That might surprise you, but the Proverbs tells us not just the hearers, but also the speakers that are affected by their own words. Look at Proverbs 12. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. 
From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things and the work of their hands bring them a reward. In other words, evil words destroy the speaker, but good words fill a man with good things. Why is this? Well, because the words we speak actually clothe our thoughts. They clarify and express our thoughts. They make them real. Words can conf- conf- confirm our thoughts. So if you say to somebody, oh, look, I hate you, I wish you were dead, you said hate because you felt hate towards that person. But now you feel it even more because you said it. It reinforces the thought, it strengthens it, it makes it real. Now, that doesn't mean we never, exp- never express our negative feelings. Look at Proverbs 10:18. He who conceals his hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. <clears throat> so what are we supposed to do? We mustn't hide our hatred behind lying lips and we mustn't express our hatred and, and sort of feed it. <clears throat> well, we're to use our words positively. See, if you feel negative towards someone else... Uh, then you should talk about it and express your feelings in a, in a positive context. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we talk to God about it. And that's called confession. And then we talk to somebody wise about it. If you do that properly and positively, you would say something like this, I've got a problem with, in my heart towards so-and-so, I feel bad about it, I'm tempted to criticise that person. And as you talk about it, you clothe your thoughts and they become easier to understand and easier to deal with. You know, it's true. When you talk to someone, it helps you understand yourself better and other people better as well. And it helps you see what's going on inside your heart. It clothes your thoughts and you see reality better. So our words can do great harm. They can wound, they can kill, they affect you as you speak them. Well, what sort of words do we need then? Well, we need to give and receive words that build up. Firstly, we need honest and truthful words rather than deceptive words. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 17. An honest witness tells the truth. Then look at Proverbs 15, verse 4. A perverse or deceptive tongue crushes the spirit. What's the difference? Well, uh, what's wrong with deception? How does it crush the spirit? Well, when you deceive someone, you keep them in the dark, don't you? You feed them lies. You deny them reality. And you spoil their ability to actually make wise decisions. See, the less reality we have when we make decisions, the more likely we are to make bad decisions, harmful decisions. But it's even more obvious that deceptive words crush the spirit. If your child insists on telling, insists that he or she is telling the truth, and later you you find out that they've lied. That's a bit crushing, isn't it? Or your husband tells you that he loves you and is faithful to you, then then you discover that he's been cheating. It hurts. Deception violates us. It crushes our spirit. We need honest, truthful words. Secondly, we need gentle and kind words rather than harsh words. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Best words are gentle words. But don't think that gentleness is weakness. Look at Proverbs 25. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. To break a bone means to break down the most hardened resistance to an idea a person may have. Gentle speech can be pointed. 
Gentle speech can be argumentative. Gentle speech can be contradictory to the listener. So what is gentle speech then? Well, the answer is the opposite to what Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, that a harsh word stirs up anger. What is a harsh word? Well, it's a word that actually inflicts unnecessary pain. It's an unkind word. It's a word that's motivated by desire to put a person down. But a gentle word is motivated always by love. It's always a kind word. It may be bone-breakingly clear. It may be argumentative. It may be contradictory to the listener, but it is kind because it is motivated by love. The test is, will the person hearing what you have to say think, I don't want to hear this, I don't like this, but I know the person loves me and cares for me? That's the test. A gentle word can be ever so persuasive. It can break down hardened resistance. Why? Because it is, it's in its essence an expression of love. Thirdly, the best words are apt and wise rather than careless. Look at Proverbs 10. The lips of the righteous know what finds favour. Those words uh, find favour are apt words, aren't they? They're words that delight. In other words, you choose your words to fit the situation, to fit the sensibility of the hearer, so that your words are delightful. But that's not all. Look at Proverbs 25. Like apples of gold in a, in a settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Or a word spoken in the right circumstance could be translated that way as well. Now, the word rightly given here in the Hebrew actually means a timely word. You see, the word you speak may be true, but if it is said at the wrong time, it won't be received. It's not apt. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Now, we tend to think that, you know, a kiss on the lips is an expression of love, but it's much more than that in ancient times. Herodotus, the ancient Greek historian, says this. When one man meets another, it is easy to see if they are equals, for without speaking they kiss on the lips. If there's a small difference in the rank of the men, it is the cheek that is kissed. But if there is a great difference between men, the humbler bows and kneels before the other. So what Proverbs is saying is this. It's actually the responsibility of the communicator to shape words to make sure that he, what he says is received well. The speaker needs to accommodate and adjust what he says so that it is heard. In other words, don't talk down to people. Don't speak over a person's head. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Think of it this way, a little illustration. Say an Englishman marries a Dutch woman. Of course, the Englishman comes from a family in which communication is not very direct. Things are alluded to and hinted at and so on. But the Dutch woman comes from a family where communication is very direct and she just sort of blurts it out, calls a spade a spade and moves on quickly. Now, what if, her, if the husband insists on communicating indirectly and sort of hinting the way his family did? And his wife will say, say to him, I had no idea that you felt this way. And the husband said, but I told you many times. Which really means he gave her lots of little hints. But he didn't really tell her, did he? He didn't find her lips. The little hints are not communicating with her. It's not apt. What if she uses her family pattern of communication with him? And, and she says, why are you call, calling a lawyer? He says, I thought you wanted a divorce. 
She says, no, 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 I'm just blowing off a little steam, that's all. No big deal. She hasn't found his lips, you see. To him, she was communicating, we're finished. Our words are to be apt and wise to, uh, to the other, like apples of gold in a silver setting, like a kiss on the lips. Your words are to be lovingly crafted to the circumstances. It's your responsibility, whenever you open your mouth, to do everything possible to make sure that what you say is properly heard and delightful. If you don't do that, you're failing. But if you do, it's exquisite and it builds people up. Fourthly, the best words are direct and courteous, uh, courageous rather than flattery. Look at Proverbs 28. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favour rather than one who has a flattering tongue. You see the tension there, don't you? This is very important. If you're concerned to be gentle and kind, which you should be, there's a tendency then not to be honest and transparent, and so you end up flattering a person. If you're concerned about truth and directness, there'll be a tendency not to be gentle and kind. There's a tension there. Do you feel that? And we must be courageous, and we mustn't be courageous and harsh or gentle and a coward. We need both honesty and kindness. We need to be direct and gentle for our words to do good and build up. And finally, the words that build up will be few rather than many. Proverbs 10 verse 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongue. The problem is not so much with many words, but it's, intend, it's more the problem of our tendency to use words that harm people. If our words are always honest, kind, apt and direct, it's impossible for you to say too much. But the problem is the longer we speak, the more we're likely to use words that damage. As James says in James chapter 3, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. And so because we have this tendency, this weakness, look at Proverbs 17, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Or, more cynically, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. You've heard that one before. <laughs> but we need to speak. So be economical, be careful, few rather than many words. Okay, they're bad words, good words. I don't know how you're feeling at the moment, but even as I'm preaching this, I'm uh, feeling the problems that I have with my heart and my words. The tongue has the power of life and death, and too often we're not using words the way we should, are we? If you're not getting kind, honest, wise and courageous words, you're dying. And if you're not giving kind, honest, wise and courageous words, you're dying. We need these sort of words to live and far too often we don't get them or give them. Listen to what Jesus says. I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. How can we escape God's judgment on the words that we speak? How can we heal our words so that we can start to speak the best sort of words? There's a clue in Proverbs 16, verse 23. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent. 
See the problem with our words? It's the problem of our hearts. Jesus picks up on this in Matthew chapter 12 when he says, the mouth speaks what is f- the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. All the problems of our mouths come from what lives in our hearts. And the word for heart, of course, in the Bible isn't your emotions, it's the centre of your being, your mind, your will uh, and your heart together. So let me ask you the question then, what lives in the centre of your being? What do you hold on to above all else? What do you love most? What gives you meaning in life? What are you really living for? What is it that you think will give you significance and security? That's your heart. And it'll determine what you say. What's in your heart will come out through your mouth. Get someone talking long enough and you'll hear what's really in their hearts, whether it's the things of God or other things, money, career, family, could be anything, all the idols that we have in our hearts. Because our hearts are so often set on all the wrong things, our words are so often unwise. So what's the remedy? What should our hearts be filled with? We need our hearts to be filled with Jesus, don't we? When Jesus came into the world, the Gospels record people saying of him, no one ever spoke the way this man did. No one ever used language like Jesus. He never spoke an unnecessary word. He never spoke an unkind word. He never spoke an unwise word. He never spoke a dishonest word. No one ever spoke like Jesus did. And we need the spirit of Jesus in our hearts. But the wonderful thing is this. Jesus is much more than an example to follow. He's the redeemer of lost causes. He's the final word of God that's able to save us and transform us and restore us. And when we come to him humbly and sorry for our sin, he forgives all the damaging words we've spoken and wonderfully also heals the hurt we carry because of what people have said to us and about us. In Joel it says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Get the picture? It's a sort of agricultural picture there. The fields are stripped bare because of the locusts in a matter of minutes. And we think it's a calamity that the farmer may never overcome. And in the book of Joel, there's this really wonderful promise that in the Messianic age, that's the age in which we're living in post-Christ and goes right through to eternity. In the Messianic age, the years the locusts have eaten can be restored. Years, not wasted fields now, but years, wasted years. The years of a person's life ruined by words spoken and heard. Lives that have been blighted by gossip and lies and foolish words can be restored. And when Jesus comes into our lives, the years eaten by the locusts, our empty, futile existence is redeemed by his death on the cross that forgives and transforms us. So let me finish with the obvious question, has Jesus come into your life? Are you trusting and loving Jesus? If so, something wonderful has happened to you. There's a word that's repeated over and over in Proverbs. In fact, it occurs 23 times in the book. And it's the word, my son. My son, listen to my instruction. 
My son, accept what I say. My son, give me your heart. You belong. You are loved. You're valued. To have a father who cares about us, who loves us and says to us, my son, my daughter, I love you, is what we need. That's the word we need. It's the most powerful, life-giving word. It's a word that, that is occasionally and imperfectly spoken by parents if we come from a good home or by a mentor or an older person. But in Proverbs, it's a word spoken to us by God himself. My son, my daughter, listen. Has God spoken to you like that? Have you heard God say, my son, my daughter? That's what happens when Jesus comes into your life. You become a child of God. You come into the family of God. Because on the cross, Jesus got the silent treatment from God, didn't he? He was forsaken by God so that we could hear these wonderful words. You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And so the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 that if we're in Christ, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's the word we need to hear. A word that brings healing to our hearts and our mouths. A word from God himself. You are my child. I'm delighted in you. Have you heard this word from God? If you have, you'll be able to speak words of life and hope to others. As it says in Proverbs 10, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving word to us this morning. Lord, we're so sorry for so often speaking words that have wounded and discouraged others rather than built them up. Forgive us, Lord, and help us with your spirit so that whenever we speak, we, give, we speak life-giving words. And Lord, for the times we've been hurt and discouraged by the words of others, remind us again that in Christ we are dearly loved children in whom you delight. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.